Well, good morning again. It is a privilege to be here to open up God's Word together as a congregation and as a family. We are in the midst of Psalm 67. We have been going through the book of Psalms, book two, Psalms in the Christian life over the last several weeks. We are getting close to the end. We only have this week and next week left, and then Pastor Tim will be back, and we will be starting a new sermon series in a new epistle. So that is exciting. The last couple of weeks, we have been brought through a season of understanding the Lord's purpose for the nations. We have been brought to a season of missions, me specifically, thinking over these last couple of weeks of Psalms, and particularly this week as we come to a culmination of understanding God's purpose in salvation. This week has been strong emphasis on missions for me. Not only have we been in the Psalms, speaking on, the, on missions, but also this week at Reformation Bible College where I both work and attend. Many of my colleagues here who go to school there, we had a wonderful message from our campus pastor on the Apostle Paul's zeal to take the gospel to the nations. So we're in a season of missions and a season of understanding evangelism. The Lord has given us our great commission. He's given us our marching orders, and that is to take the gospel around the world to spread the news of Jesus Christ. But this psalm, Psalm 67, focus is on the result of God's blessing. So what is the result of spreading the gospel? John Piper, many of you may know, has written a book with a lot of the focus being on this psalm called Let the Nations Be Glad. I'm sure that there's someone here who has read that book. And in that book, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. It's not the purpose of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And I believe that we will see that. We will understand that more as we walk through this psalm today. You know, this week, the Lord gave me an opportunity to witness to someone in my life, and it was actually my barber, who I see every two weeks, and you might ask, well, why do you have to get your hair cut every two weeks? You look at me, there's no hair, and I will tell you for two reasons. One, because I don't look good with a shaved head. My wife has told me that. And number two, if I don't have my hair cut every two weeks, the sides grow out and it's really bushy, and then I have a comb over, and I look very evil and suspect, so I have to get my hair cut every two weeks. The purpose in me telling you this is the Lord has laid it on my heart to be able to share the gospel with my barber. He's a nice individual. I see him, again, every two weeks. He just moved to a small shop out in DeBerry where there's only two chairs, so we have a time to talk. This week, I went in on my lunch break, And there was an individual sitting in the chair in front of me, and he seemed kind of strange. And as he left, I got in the chair, and I asked him, I said, hey, Peter, what's up with that guy? He seemed kind of strange. He mentioned to me that he was a Jehovah's Witness, and he has some crazy ideas. I began to speak with him, and I I knew that this was the perfect opportunity from the Lord to speak with him. I began to explain some of the differences between Jehovah's Witness and what I believe in Christianity and what I would describe as Orthodox Christianity, I began to explain to him that 
Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus Christ was a created being by God the Father, who they call Jehovah, and that ultimately, really, he is the archangel Michael in their theology. And I began to explain to him how in Christianity, I believe, and, and Christians profess and confess through history that Jesus Christ revealed to us in Scripture is truly God and truly man, brought to earth, took on flesh to take our sin. And I, I began to, to talk about this. I could tell he was uncomfortable, but he began to open up to me a little bit. He said his mother is a Buddhist and his father is an atheist. And we began to talk. I didn't press him too hard, but he finished cutting my hair. I got up and I started putting on my tie because I was headed back to work. And I knew at that point that if I did not share something with him gospel-related that I would feel very bad and I would regret it later. At that point, I kind of turned and looked at him and I said, what we're speaking about here, the church, spiritual things, understanding God, understanding his word is important. It's very important. And I told him, because I'm a sinner and I know that I'm evil to the core and I know that my sin calls for a just punishment. And if I did not have somewhere to put my sins, I know that I would be bound to the wrath of God. And I asked him, I was like, where do you put your sins? You know, where do they go? And we, we talked, and I began to share with him a little bit about Jesus Christ. I invited him to church, and I said, we'd love to have you the best place to learn about spiritual things about the gospel, and the Lord is in the local church. I invited him to come, and... We, we left from there. I was hoping that he would go home and think about those things. And as I started to meditate on this psalm, getting back to the purpose of this, I began to think, what is my purpose in sharing the gospel with him? Is it to win souls for the Lord, to get my own glory? I think that everyone here would say, no, that's not the purpose. We're not out to get good gets for the Lord and gain up and garner up our own glory. As I've been reflecting on this psalm, it would be so wonderful if this individual would repent of their sins, believe in Christ, and join me in praising the Lord for the great salvation that he has brought upon his people. This psalm, as we look into it, I believe that John Piper is correct, that missions is not the goal of the church, but worship is, and we will see that as we walk through this psalm. This psalm is arranged in three strophes, we will see it in verses 1 and 2, as you'll see on your outline if you've received an outline there. Verses 1 and 2 will be what I've entitled, Blessing with a Purpose. Verses 3 through 5 will be the result of blessing. And verses 6 and 7, the fullness of blessing. In this psalm, worship is the central theme, worship and praise of the living God. And it is sandwiched between blessing. We'll see worship as the central blessing, a petition for blessing at the top from the psalmist, and then confidence of the fullness of blessing that will come from the Lord. Let's begin in verse 1, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judged the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. O Lord, as we come to this text this morning, we are grateful and we praise you for salvation in Jesus Christ. O Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks. You have spoken to us through your word. Lord, I ask this morning that you would be with me as I preach from your word. Lord, I am just a stammering servant, incapable and insufficient without you. O Lord, find us faithful to your word. Lord, may we be faithful to the gospel. Help us to learn so that we might be doers and that ultimately we might praise you for the salvation that you have brought to us, that you have chosen us, that you have given us faith and grace through Jesus Christ. I ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. There are three things that I would really like for you to see in this psalm. Like I said before, there are three stanzas or three strophes, as they would be called. Just as you're reading a hymn book, this is a song, remember, and its purpose is to praise God. And it is also a petition, a prayerful, prayerful song. And in some ways, it's prophecy as well, because we look to the future of how the Lord will bless the nations. In these three stanzas, I want you to see three things. God's purpose in blessing his people. First, his purpose in blessing his people is so that he may be known, verse 2. The second thing I would like for you to see is his purpose in blessing his people is so that he may be worshipped, and that is in verses 3 and 5. And lastly, his purpose in blessing his people is so that he may be feared, that is in verse 7. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This might sound very familiar to you, and it should. This is the famous Aaronic blessing of Numbers chapter 6. We read it last week as our benediction here at Grace Fellowship. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, who speaks to Aaron, who blesses Israel, the nation of Israel, with blessing. Let's turn there in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verses 22, and I'll read through 26. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron's and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's interesting the difference here as we look at this Aaronic blessing in Numbers that the Lord's name, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, meaning the name of the Lord, Yahweh, roughly meaning our covenant God or the God of the covenant, is mentioned three times. Numbers' focus is entirely on the well-being of Israel as a nation. Here, however, as we turn back over to Psalm 67, the blessings on Israel is ex extended to include the salvation of all nations. Here the verbiage used is Elohim, may God be gracious to us. In the context, this is Israel. The us is Israel. And the word here used is Elohim, which is the generic word for God. Many have speculated, some scholars have spoken and said that this 
denying, or not denying, but leaving out the word Yahweh in this text means that this is the psalmist's attempt to communicate to the nations. Remember that the blessing of the Lord was never supposed to be contained to Israel only. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests who proclaimed salvation and that this promise to Abraham is, was to spread to the nations. May God, Elohim, be gracious to us. It's interesting that in book two of the Psalms, Elohim is the primary word used for the Lord, not Yahweh. And I do believe that the arranger, whoever put these books together, we don't know who that was, put them like this as a purpose. And it's not, no coincidence that last week, Psalm 66 began Shout for joy all the earth. Two weeks ago, Psalm 65, O to you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Remember that we're moving into a season of missions and proclaiming to the nations God's goodness and praise for His salvation. Three things in this first verse. May God be gracious, number one. May He bless us and make His face to shine upon us. It's as if these attributes are building on top of each other. Remember, this is national Israel. This is God's covenant people we're speaking about here. First, may God be gracious. May He give us what we don't deserve. Second, may He bless us. This word bless, as Tim has talked about over the last couple of weeks, does not necessarily just mean merited favor or giving of tangible items. What what we're really getting down to is that the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, would shine His face and show His covenant love to His people. Make His face to shine upon us, Israel. This idea of the face shining upon us shows the nearness of the Lord. The blessing to the Jewish people would be related to His nearness, that the face of God would be in their midst where His light would shine forth and His blessings cover them. This is a theme that runs throughout Scripture from the garden where man was cast out of the presence of the Lord to Exodus, to the Pentateuch, where the Lord came and dwelt among His people in the tabernacle, to Christ, our Lord, who came to dwell with us and shine His light, and then ultimately looks forward to the new heavens and the new earth, where the Lord and man will dwell together once again. May His face shine upon us, Israel. When I think of a face shining upon us, I think a good, a good application for us as we try to understand this is that in our modern context, as we, we walk around, as we come to church, as we pass other people, we don't look at each other in the face often. Some people do. There's some very outgoing people here like Tammy, who I love very much. But most of us, we're just minding our own business. James Montgomery Boyce states, a shining face is the opposite of an angry face or a scowling face. And a face turned towards someone is the opposite of a face turned away in indifference and disgust. I'm guilty of this. I don't look at people in the eyes. We're always consumed with our own business. But the Lord wants to shine His favor on us and look at our face and that we are able to look upon Him that we may see His goodness. A good analogy, I believe, here is is my daughter. I have a two-month-old daughter who can hardly do anything except for the big three, and you know what those are. But there's something about the eye contact that you have there with a child as they look up from you, from their seat, from their car seat, and they look at you in the face, 
and you cannot help but smile, and it's heart-stopping to see that all they can do is move their muscles in their face and smile, and their cheeks get big. It's very heart-stopping. And that this psalmist's petition is that the Lord's face would shine upon them. This is for a specific purpose as we move into verse 2. This purpose is that. May you be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This clause in verse 2 is dependent on the first. Remember, this section I've entitled, Blessing with a Purpose. And this purpose of blessing is that God's way may be known on earth. We know that this is rooted in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis 22, with God's gracious covenant with Abraham, how he was to bring him out of a land and make him a great nation, and through him all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. This psalm is the psalmist praying this into reality. He is prophesying in a sense. He is taking what he knows, and he's praying for this to happen. On his way to the nations, the Lord went through a specific nation, and that nation was Israel. They were always, always meant to proclaim God's goodness of salvation to the nations. They were to be a kingdom of priests. If you would, turn to Exodus 19, 4 through 6. Israel was always supposed to be a kingdom of priests. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Remember where we are in Exodus. We're about to have the giving of the law. Israel has been redeemed. They have been brought out of Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. And the Lord says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation." Now, when we hear this priestly language, we think of sacrifice, we think of temple rituals, we don't necessarily think of proclaiming the gospel in a modern sense. But as we flip gears here, first of all, we know that Israel was always supposed to be a blessing to the nations. So Aaron has blessed the people, and therefore they are supposed to be a kingdom of priests who will bring salvation to the nations. Flip to Romans chapter 15 quickly for me, all the way on the other end of your Bible. We see in the New Testament fulfillment of this, of priestly service being identified as evangelistic zeal. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15, verses 15 and 16 says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of, gr- because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, underline this, in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You might look up at me and say, well, that's great and well for the Apostle Paul. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, obviously chosen by the Lord as a special servant to proclaim the gospel. But what about us? What about the church? How does this relate to us? Well, I'm glad that you ask. If you turn over to 1 Peter quickly, and I'm sorry I have you all over the place in this section, We'll slow down. First Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10. Many of you know this passage. Peter here, writing to primarily Gentiles, says, But you are a chosen race, 
You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are supposed to be a kingdom of priests, just as Israel was a kingdom of priests. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Our goal, our purpose is to bless others, is to bring the gospel. We are, by faith, children of Abraham. We are united to Christ, and we are to carry forth the gospel. And this gospel carrying out is for a specific purpose. Remember, this first section was blessing with a purpose. Now let's see the result of this blessing. Verse 3 beginning back in the Psalms. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is stanza number two. So in stanza number one, we saw that blessing has a purpose. Now we'll see the result of that blessing. This refrain, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, is repeated, as you can see, in verses 3 and verse 5. Remember, the second thing that I wanted you to see was that God's purpose in blessing His people was that He may be worshipped. I find it very interesting that the psalmist here in this petition is asking for the nations, for the people, to praise their God. This says, let the peoples praise you, O God, meaning the God of Israel. Remember, they are in a land of pagans, of gods who do not hear, that do not see, but our God does hear, our God does see, and He is a God of salvation. So what God is it that this psalmist is petitioning for these people to believe in, to praise? This is the God of Israel. This is the God of Jacob. This is the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. Turn with me quickly to Exodus chapter 15. Many of you know this passage. This is directly after Israel being brought out of Egypt and they're crossing the sea. Remember that the original context of this blessing is, may the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant Lord, bless you and keep you. That is the God that they are praising. Now this has been extended to the nations and they are asking, they're petitioning that the nations would praise their God. And this is the God that they would praise. Chapter 15, starting in verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Skipping down to verse 10, you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. This is salvation language. This is praising the Lord because of what Israel's covenant God has done. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Verse 11, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. When the psalmist back in 67 is saying, let the peoples praise you, O God, this is the God that the nations are supposed to praise. This is the God that requires praise and calls for praise and who is worthy of all praise. Let all the peoples praise you. This is 
not universal salvation. We do not believe in that. As the church, we know that the Scripture says that there will be those who reject the Lord and who will be cast into a lake of fire. But this is all the peoples, as we will see in a moment as we move to the central verse of this psalm, that the people can have joy because all peoples are accepted. All peoples can come to the Lord. Verse 4 is the central passage here in this psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Our Lord is a God who governs and guides. Why is it good that we have a just judge? Do you ever think about that? Normally we think about judging, we think of it in a negative context. We think of a courtroom setting. We think of the gavel coming down. But it is good that we have a just God who is righteous. We have a God who won't take a bribe. We see all the time in the news and the media, the politicians on both sides of the spectrum, the famous people getting off. But we have a just judge who will show no partiality between Jew, between Gentile. The nations, because they've been blessed by the Lord, because the Lord has been known to them, who He is, they can now have joy that the Lord does not judge them based on their skin color, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether you live downtown in Sanford and have 10 cents to your name, or whether you have been born in royalty, the Lord is a just judge. We see in Romans chapter 3 that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The purpose of salvation was that so all peoples would be able to praise the Lord and that He would gain glory in it. Back to verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, number one, because for you are a judge For you, judge the peoples with equity. And number two, you guide the nations upon the earth. The Lord is our guide. The Lord is our shepherd. The nations, the presidents, the kings, they think that they are operating outside of the Lord's sovereign rule. But the Lord laughs. They are not operating outside of his sovereign rule. He guides us. He leads the nations. The word here for lead is the same the same verb that is used in speaking of the Exodus where the Lord led the people. He led them and guided them by a cloud and by fire. He rescued his people and he led them and they may have joy and shout for joy because remember, this is the God that the nations are to praise. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven 27 through 28, you can write this down, you don't have to turn there, says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This is the result of blessing from the Lord, that the nations would praise our God. The purpose of God's blessing is so he may be worshiped. Remember, that's point number two. Verse five, the refrain just emphasizes what we've already discussed in verse three. You can see that this idea of joy and praise is sandwiched in between blessing. The original psalmist petition in verse 1 that God would be gracious to them and bless them, and then we see praise of God, and then finally in verses 6 and 7, we will see the fullness of the Lord's blessing. Starting in verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth 
fear him. It's interesting here, this entire psalm is a petition. It's forward-looking. It's always future tense, what the Lord is going to do. Here, it is in the past tense. Many have speculated that this is a psalm that is to be sung, that is to be prayed in Israel's agricultural festivals. We do know that the nation of Israel was an agricultural nation, such as the Feast of Booths. We don't really know for sure, but it's interesting that as we've been talking about the nations, all of a sudden we're back to Israel. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. The flow of this psalm, I'm certain, is not by accident that the blessing is yielded back on Israel. It seems as though as you dig into the Hebrew here, Tim has spoken of this many times, that this is a past-future verb in the perfect form. This tense is used to indicate a completed or perfected action, an action or condition. The verb here is in the perfect tense as a rhetorical perfect for action so certain to take place that we can already be speaking of it as it's accomplished. I think a good comparison to this in our lives today and, and as we think through this, when we pray to the Lord, we say, we praise you, Lord, for redeeming us. We speak of it, and yes, the Lord has redeemed us by his blood. He's, he's changed our hearts. He's changed. He's lifted us from the dead. But in another sense, are we really truly brought to completion and redemption or not? But we have confidence that the Lord will bring that through and bring that to fruition in glory. And we know that. We don't pray as Christians, Lord, will you, you know, in the future, please redeem us because we're not redeemed now. We can speak confidently because we know that the Lord's promises are true in Christ and we trust in his perfect sacrifice and his perfect righteousness. Again, we still haven't got to the root of this verse. Remember, the focus is back on Israel. So the Lord blesses Israel to be a blessing. The result of that is that the nations would praise and worship the Lord because of salvation. And then finally, the fullness. This can be a very confusing passage in Romans chapter 11. I'd like for you to turn there briefly. We see the Lord working this out in time and space. We see the nations turning to Him. We see that it is our duty to bring others to Christ so that they may worship. But we also know that the Jewish people rejected the Messiah for our benefit that we may be grafted in through Christ. Romans chapter 11, this is Paul speaking here. Remember the premise of Romans is that the gospel would go to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. We know that, that many Jews rejected Christ, and now this is Paul crying out for his zealousness for the Jewish people to accept Christ and to believe in him. Starting in verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in, because we were not a part of the body of Christ, but we've been grafted in to the body. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. As we skip down here to verse 25, we see the mystery of Israel's salvation. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away 
their sins. Now, I'm not going to try to cover it up or hide this from you. This is one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture, and my job this morning is not to exegete this entire passage and try to explain to you who all Israel is, but we do know for certain that there is a future or happening right now blessing from Israel because of the Gentiles' conversion. And as we look back to Psalm 67, we see that the earth has yielded its increase. The nations are praising the Lord. And I praise God for this church that we take part in foreign missions, that we give and we tithe to places like Pathway Learning, where we see the gospel going out to many nations and many peoples. And as the nations turn, there is this hope that Israel will turn to the Lord. Whether you believe all Israel here means all Jews and Gentiles, or whether you believe that means just Jewish people who are slowly becoming converted over time, as many Jews are currently professing Christ and more every day, is really irrelevant. What is relevant is that because of the praise of the Lord, the earth is yielding an increase, and that God shall bless us, Israel, and ultimately all the ends of the earth will fear Him and will reverently respect the Lord. Jew, Gentile, those from Islamic background, if they are converted to Christianity, whoever it is, all the ends of the earth from this blessing shall fear the Lord. God works in mysterious ways. As we begin to recap here, I want you to remember those three things, that God's purpose in blessing His people is that, first of all, that He may be known, centrally, that He may be worshiped, and it also His purpose in blessing His people so that He may be feared by all nations. As we begin to apply this to our lives, we obviously look forward from Psalm to the gospel, and we look to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we look back in amazement at the psalmist's petition here, and we should be convinced that the Lord knows what He's doing in His plan of redemption. It's clear and it's obvious. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want to store up your own glory, or do you want to give glory to the Lord? Do you want to be a channel of blessing for others, or do you primarily seek God's blessing for your own benefit? We should not primarily do this it is too easy for a request to the Lord to be a means to an end in themselves. Psalm 67 challenges us to pursue blessing for God's intended outcome, that the nations would praise Him and glorify Him. May we as the church, even here at Grace Fellowship, this small congregation of believers, be used by the Lord for the work of blessing those around us. May we bring others to faith in Christ so that they may worship Him and glorify Him. This is our purpose. I'm going to close with these words from Charles Wesley in this great hymn that I believe interact here with Psalm 67 and is appropriate to read. O for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master, and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. O oh Lord, we are grateful this morning. We are grateful for what you've done for us. We are thankful for salvation. Lord, let us pour out, bubble over, and praise you because of your great salvation. Lord, you are a God who cannot be fathomed. You used a particular people 
in a particular place to bless the world. You brought the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to reconcile the world to yourself. You are sovereign. We know that you can only do this through your saving power. But, O Lord, you are to be praised, you are to be worshipped, and you are to be glorified. Let us be a church who takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for what you're doing here in this body. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.